This evening, we are pleased to present the seventh and annual lecture in the new Hazel and Fulton Chauncey Lecture Series. Hazel and Fulton Chauncey were longtime VHS members who had a special interest in the scholarly work of this institution. Their sons, Edwin Hall and Warren Fulton Chauncey, established this lecture series as a way to encourage the same appreciation in history that they had in the history of education in all others, particularly in young people. We are joined tonight by Warren Chauncey. Warren, will you please stand and be recognized? Thank you, sir. Tonight's speaker, Dr. William M. Kelso, is the Director of Archaeology for Jamestown Rediscovery at Historic Jamestown. He holds a master's degree in early American history from the College of William and Mary, a PhD from Emory University, and he has been awarded an honorary degree of chivalry from Queen Elizabeth II, Commander of the Order of the British Empire. He is the expert on the site of the first permanent English settlement in North America and author and co-author of several books, including Jamestown, The Buried Truth, Jamestown Rediscovery, 1994 through 2004, Kings Mill Plantation, 1619 to 1800, Archaeology of Country Life in Colonial Virginia, Archaeology at Monticello, and of course, the topic of tonight's lecture, Jamestown, The Truth Revealed, copies of which will be available afterwards if you'd like an autographed version. Thank you again all for being here, for your wonderful support of this most remarkable most remarkable organization. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Kelso. Thank you very much. Uh, I am so honored to be able to address this austere body. Um, I've always been, uh, to me, the Virginia Historical Society was an awesome place where lots of smart people were in, in a building. Uh, and um, so I, I welcome the chance to speak to you. Uh, I originally am from Ohio, so I'm a little afraid to, t to talk to all of you who are all related in Virginia, <laughs> I understand. But I'm going to try. Well, first of all, there we go. Um, you know, where in the world is Jamestown? And I'm sure you all know, you're all mostly from Richmond. Uh, but to get a more specific perspective of the context of what I'm going to talk about. Uh, it's all about Jamestown Island uh, in the James River. Uh, and it is, uh, here you can get an idea of the topography. But really, I'm going to be speaking about an area at the extreme eastern, uh, east, western end of the island uh, that is owned by uh, Preservation Virginia that's based here, obviously, in Richmond. Uh, and uh, so. I'm going to talk about the rediscoveries of archaeology that have taken place in the last 24 years. I'm going to do one by one, and you'll never get your cars out of the, out of the garage <laughs> if I do that. No, I promise you can get to the cars. Uh, just a little bit of a thumbnail history, though. Um, the, uh, the, whole th the whole operation, the whole uh, idea of settling in Virginia uh, be, uh, begins with forming the Virginia Company, and it, and it is a, a, a free enterprise, uh, a joint stock company, trading company, and the man who is behind all of this with the money is, Tom, is Thomas Smith. So he outfits three ships, and they're very large, uh, three ships. Oh, and they, oh, wait, here they go. Wait a minute. <laughs> they got away from me. Um, I have far too much fun with PowerPoint. As you'll see. Uh, here we go. Then the ships leave in 1606 <laughs> with 104, 104 settlers. 
to come to Virginia. The idea was to get there in five weeks. They got, it took five months, and so there's a great food uh, shortage when they arrive. But they do arrive, but and they come in at Virginia Beach, modern Virginia Beach. And there, um, you would think after being on the ship for, for five months, uh, they would just jump ship and, and land there. But the idea was to find, uh, to go inland at least 100 miles to, uh, to, so the Spanish can't uh, attack them. And of course, you know about the James River, you can't go 100 miles on a ship. Uh, but, you, but they said the backup plan was some island that was strong by nature, meaning it could be easily defended because it's surrounded with water. So there's not many choices on the James River but uh, Jamestown Island. The one problem was uh, they were uh, settling right in the, in the middle of the Powhatan Empire, and they were instructed not to do that. And here are the statistics. You know, there's 104 that finally make it, uh, and there are 15,000 of the Powhatan. So there's tension, and there's warfare, and other things that you've heard about. Now, wh what we know about that early settlement uh, time, the, uh, the days of the early part, uh, were uh, written down by Captain John Smith in his uh, volumes, where he writes a very detailed accounts of various things that happened in the first two, two years. Uh, of course, he spends a lot of time writing about Captain John Smith, too, and how important he was to that operation. <laughs> but he's, he's really turning out to be a, a very truthful guy, as we've been finding things in the ground that back that up. And then there's uh, uh, George Percy, who many haven't heard of, but he uh, left some very detailed accounts of both the voyage over uh, and then of a period, a, a rough period when he was governor, which is called the starving time. I'll mention a little bit more about that. And then there's William Strachey, I do not have an image of, but he was a clerk of the company, uh, of, the, of the colony. Uh, he gave dimensions of what the fort, uh, the James Fort that was built actually in 19 days after landing, uh, what it looked like and a little bit of dimensions that were there. Uh, but um, he, he also chronicled uh, later on about the, about the starving time, but Percy talked about that first summer, which was a, an early starving time, where only 38 are alive out of that 104 by the fall. Uh, so problems. Uh, and we have discovered the unmarked graveyard of that 1607 group. Uh, now, uh, time go as time goes on, Smith goes back to England, uh, and then uh, the company realizes they have to outfit this, this operation a lot. They can put more money into it so it, would so it would succeed. So they sent a flotilla of eight or nine ships, one of which the flagship was the Sea Venture that wrecks in Bermuda on the way. The others uh, are in the same hurricane, make it to Virginia, but their supplies are, are, are ruined in the, in the passage. But uh, Sir Thomas Gates, who I know, uh, who we found a portrait of, by the way, it hangs in Bermuda, uh, and he was the governor coming over, and by the time he got to uh, Virginia, he found that it was a devastating time. Uh, during that winter, and late fall and winter, um, and early spring, actually, uh, the colony uh, population uh, went from, some say 500, I think it was more like 220, uh, to 60 are left alive. So more people die. Uh, a very bad time, the starving time, which I'll bring up a little later about some other discoveries there. Uh, so <clears throat> this is what he finds, and Gates decides to leave, pack up the ships, go down the river. Uh, it, it, this isn't gonna, not gonna, we're not going to make it. And, and, and right at the last minute, 
Uh, in comes uh, Lord Delaware with uh, supplies for a year, all kinds of healthy people uh, to jumpstart, as I call it, the, col the colony. And, uh, and so the ships turn around and come back to Jamestown. They were almost out of the river. Uh, so, uh, and then he comes in and, and improves the place, and he, one quote says, I, I cleansed the town. And that turned out to be an interesting, uh, to create an interesting archaeological situation, as you'll see. Uh, now, uh, I'll fast forward through the, through the 17th century, which is when J uh, Jamestown was uh, the capital of, of Virginia. Uh, and then at the end of the century, the capitals moved to Williamsburg. Uh, but what, how did the colony make it? Well, finally, they, they get a cash crop. And every, every colony's got to have a cash crop. It's got it's to pay for itself. Um, and so it turns out to be tobacco. John Rolfe uh, experiments with this. Uh, and he, by, by the time he marries Pocahontas in, in, uh, in 1614, uh, the Indian Wars began to cool off. So... The colony is going to be a, the first permanent English settlement thereafter, but it, there were bad times after that, but still, it's going to be, uh, it's going to stay, it's going to make it. Then Jamestown goes from the fort to a port, but not a big port. Uh, the, the, the channel was so far off the, um, uh, the, the main town that it was a problem, and they're upriver, uh, so it struggles as a, as a, as a port. But it definitely is where the, the government uh, meets once a year and comes in and peoples the town. Uh, so uh, after that, uh, as you get into the 19th century, it, it reverts to farmland. Uh, it's really, it's, it's just a bad place uh, ge uh, um, uh, logistically to get to. So <clears throat> when I first visited in 1963, the island, uh, and I was with a park ranger, and, and I said, well, I'm here to walk the fort uh, where John Smith, and John, uh, John Smith and Pocahontas walked. I was really excited. I had come to William & Mary in graduate school. And uh, he said, well, you're a little late. He pointed out in the river. He said, the fort has washed away on the western end of the island. He actually pointed to a tree that was offshore, and that was, was exactly where this fort site had been. I was very disappointed. You know, I thought, well, but I saw something in the dirt, and I wasn't an archaeologist, but on, on, a, on a cliff on next to uh, what was a, a, a Civil War earthwork, and there was a dark layer of soil sticking out, and I thought, it just fascinated me. I said, what in the world is that? And there were artifacts sticking out, colonial artifacts, and I said, well, uh, excuse me, but what is this black layer over here, you know? And I got this look. I, you, you've probably gotten it before when you, you asked a searching question, and he just sort of looked at me like, I don't know what's there. So I thought maybe someday some archaeologists might have a chance to look at it. This was 1963 I'm talking about. Uh, so, uh, and the one um, above ground thing, that, uh, above ground piece of the original town was a church tower, a brick church tower that you see there in the background. And I thought, hey, you know, this is the church and, um, and the original settlement had a church. So I wonder if there's a fort around this, this uh, somewhere around this tower. Uh, and that, that kind of stuck in my mind for a while, and then I began to negotiate with the uh, uh, APVA then at Preservation Virginia uh, about, um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a fort here. And, and uh, so after a 10-year uh, discussion, we decided, okay, let's try it and take, take a look. So I had become an archaeologist, and okay. So, but there were requirements, like you had to have funding to, you know, support it and things, but uh, that was put together. So... 
uh, over the last 24 years, we've begun finding the pieces of James Fort. And they, these are the archaeological uh, uh, signs of what we're finding. First of all, it was a barracks. Well, barracks, what are you talking about? Well, in, in these post holes that we could find, uh, they, uh, there were posts that, would, that supported uh, a building. And that's the first thing that we began to turn up. And then a piece of the wall, uh, which was just a, a trench through the uh, clay uh, that you could see, even though it had all been filled in again, you could see little dots where the posts had rotted out of a palisaded wall. So it began connecting the dots and dashes. And then in another part, part of, this, of the site, we actually did, you can see there, um, the, an excavated section of the, of the west wall. So connect the dots, literally. And, and by um, uh, 2003, we did. Uh, the, and I say we. I've got a wonderful staff of people and excellent, excellent folks. So I get all the credit, but it's not, it's not right. Anyway, um, they found uh, where there was a curved line in this palisade line. So that began to look like the, uh, the, the sketch that um, Strachey, uh, that I, I showed when I was showing uh, Strachey's signature. So this is looking pretty good. And, and, the, and the size was coming out very much like uh, he had recorded. Then finding this time that the church really wasn't where the tower was exactly, but the original 1608 church uh, turned out near the center of the, of the triangle. Uh, and uh, how we knew it was that, I'll explain in, in more detail. But again, a post hole pattern is all that's left of these wooden buildings, but it's enough to, enough to tell you what was there. Uh, then cellars that are underneath them. Uh, this, this is one that was a, a, a kitchen uh, for a while uh, and got filled in, but it was in the center of the fort. It was kind of the, the, the military um, uh, commissary. And, and then from that point, uh, finding other buried cellars. Uh, and this in this case, uh, the first blacksmith shop in uh, an iron making uh, area down in this cellar. And then that was recycled into a bakery, which is a little hard to think about, but it, that's, what, that's what was done. And then um, my biggest surprise was finding the footprint of, of major timber buildings, like you would have seen in London, uh, and without the cellars. The, and this was a change after Delaware comes to the colony, we believe. Long, uh, long connected buildings, uh, row houses. And at one end, in the foreground of this photo, we found a well. We found a couple of wells. And they turn out to be real treasure chests for archaeologists, because once the water uh, is gone uh, or goes bad, the shaft is filled with people just throwing things away. Uh, so it, in this one end, we, we had a, quite a, a strike. Uh, anyway, here uh, is the uh, reconstructed fort as, we, as it stands now. It's, it's a map that was never made. It's, it's almost like a photograph that you couldn't make, of course. Uh, with the church in the center, the row houses, uh, not all these stood at exactly the same time. But that gives you an idea of the lost fort that has been found. And, and there's the church. OK, now, along with that, we found, the first day I found an artifact. It was artifact one. It's a piece of pottery. And this woman and her son were standing in a rope watching me do this. You know, I was so excited to start. And I was by myself at that time. And I knew it was old enough to be James Fort right away, the first day. And I, I was kind of doubting myself, anyway, that we're going to find the fort. And uh, so she said to me, what are you doing? 
like, I'm gonna turn you in. You know, what are you showing up? <laughs> and, uh, and I went up to her, I said, I'm finding James Ford. You know, I'm showing this piece of pottery. And she started backing away with her son, you know. So, let's, let's not upset the nice man, Bobby. Let's get out of here. And that, that's the truth. But that was artifact one, and we found over two million in that, inside that thing. It's like a landfill. Uh, and it's been incredible, and they're all mostly the very earliest artifacts. This is just a little sample here of the armors and arms and arms and armor and pottery, and just it's just incredible stuff. Uh, so I will now talk about each one of these artifacts. <laughs> no, here's a, here, just a few highlights, and here's a here's an excavation of the well of a well that was into that row house, and they're very tricky to dig and uh, dangerous too. But watch this. So that probably Delaware probably brought that uh, brought that over to Jamestown. It's a, it's a it's a halberd, uh, and uh, it has in uh, perhaps is part of his coat of arms in a filigree in the, at the end. So really uh, really an interesting thing. And right next to it, uh, a pistol. And this is an x-ray of it, but it's double loaded and it's laying down in as well. And I, I don't know, we can't really explain why it's there, but uh, it, that's the kind of thing that survives in the wells. And even um, probably more important are the, are the bits and pieces that give you an idea of the environment when the English first get to Virginia. Uh, the, the seeds and plants and other things are, survive in the water. Uh, and even this uh, strange looking uh, jigsaw puzzle uh, is really a, a, a size of a grain of pepper, and that is a tobacco seed. We even found that inside. So how fitting is that? Then another well in the center uh, just turned out to be an amazing uh, fill. And it, it, it was uh, a, first a cellar, and then a well is built down inside the cellar. And there, another moment of discovery. Literally, yes. literally. But they had still well, they probably had to communicate with each other. It's the same thing. Very, very thin. Yeah, look at it. Wow. Here you go, Bill. They do all the work and then you just give it to me. So. That was the deal. But this was incredible. It, it's, uh, I'm a historian, so this is like finding a book in the attic, man. This is a book in the well. It's a piece of slate that was written on over and over in different times, and a lot of what was written on it uh, in text and pictures drawn and numbers, uh, uh, it still survives to some extent. So we've been spending, uh, still looking at it to see how many more things we could find. And the way to see it was to put chalk through and, and wherever anyone pushed hard enough on this slate when they were drawing on it, it, it survived. So here's, here's a little idea of having gone into Photoshop and enhanced these things of what's on it. I mean, it's, in, it's amazing. And it, you think, well, it's just graffiti, but I don't think so. I think there's some meaningful things on here. Uh, and that we have, again, a book in the, in the well. There's a series of rampant lions drawn on there, which I couldn't see at first. And uh, uh, one of the staff said, hey, there's lions. I said, come on. But they are. You know, look at that. And so it's part of like a coat of arms. And then pictures of birds uh, and plants. And I think this, when the Sea Venture um, wrecked, that this slate probably had, uh, was Strachey's uh, scratch pad uh, to some extent. Anyway, there's a bird there that's like the cahow that only you can find in Bermuda. 
Uh, and then, of course, the palmetto is definitely not something you'd see in Virginia. So to me, it was like, here's, a, here, here's like a naturalist arriving in the new world, you know, and, and, and seeing these wonderful things and trying to make a record of them as quickly as they can. Uh, and we also have found these cacao bones in, in with uh, food remains in the fort. So they were brought as supplies when the Sea Venture actually came, or the uh, new ships were built uh, from the Sea Venture and brought to, to Jamestown. And then two tobacco pipes, these, believe it or not, these are stone pipes that were carved out of Bermuda limestone. And so there's, this I think is, a, is well, the smoking gun of the fact that tobacco probably came from Bermuda, the first tobacco. That's, there's a theory uh, about that. The Spanish had, had planted it there. But anyway, we also found, much earlier, a ring uh, and ways of uh, saying, how does, how does Strachey uh, connect with the slate? We found his signet ring a long time ago. That's not Strachey, that's Shakespeare. But um, he, he wrote what his, his uh, version of the shipwreck as what we think Shakespeare used for, a lot of people think, uh, for the Tempest, the story for the Tempest. But that's one connection with Strachey. But the other one, I think, is that slate. Because here's his coat of arms. He's got the rampant lion. There are, um, uh, there are also um, uh, flirtily and other reasons to think that he was using that, like the fact that there's a statement on there that says, I am not of the finest sort. Uh, that's not really putting himself down. But what happened was he thought he was going to inherit a lot of money, according to his biography. Uh, and then when his father died, he found out his father was broke. And he thought he would, this would put him in the, with the finest sort. And so I guess he was just lamenting about that, perhaps. Anyway, in there with all this uh, uh, were uh, thousands of, of animal bones, food remains, but all crushed up to, to people were living on, on um, a marrow, they're on small, even rats. There was rat skeletons in here. Uh, all this is thrown into that well uh, with, in the same layers with the actual uh, um, the slate. And it looks like it's coming from a bad time because there are butchered dogs and there are butchered horses in there, uh, snakes, other things that wouldn't normally be on the menu. You're thinking, this is probably from the starving time we're thinking. Okay, then uh, that seemed pretty clear and that was probably the re results of Delaware cleaning the town, cleansing the town. And he all these buildings that had cellars, they just gave up on them. They filled them in and built a different type of building. Anyway, uh, we're, also, we're also finding bits of the same pottery coming out of different deposits. Not only in that well, which is in the center there, but next door, we began to find, uh, by looking at the disturbed soil, uh, the outline of what turned out to be a cellar, another cellar. You see, that's how, I wish the dirt would go that fast, but it doesn't. <laughs> And there, that is, uh, it, is a kitchen. There are two ovens that where you see the brickwork in the corners. Uh, and then laying all over, the, all over the floor are these food remains, mostly fish, uh, that were thrown in there as they were cooking these, um, uh, drying the fish, really, is what the idea was. And they're usually sturgeon. So that was pretty interesting. You know, we found the, you know, the commissary, and you got the kitchen, and then, in the layers of fill in there, there was one dark layer that had a surprise. And right in about there, we began to find a mutilated human skull and a severed leg bone. 
Not a burial. That's all. That's in there with all these butchered horses, dogs, rats. So, so this is coming from the starting time, I think. And uh, so what does it mean? Uh, well, we went to our, our great colleague at the Smithsonian, Douglas Owsley, and he forensically looked at these remains. And he felt like there was no question, well, for one thing, that we had, this was the remains of a girl, 14-year-old girl, English girl. He could tell this from stable isotopes uh, and other, the shapes of the skull and all. We didn't have a name for anyone that had come in in 1690, which we think it was. So we call her Jane, and it was clear that she had all the, I'm not going to go into, into gory details, but this skull was absolutely, as Doug would say, processed. And I didn't want to believe it. I thought I, there were some written documents about the fact that the, some, at the starving time, lived off of the dead, a few, uh, to survive. And it's no, there's no question. You can see the cuts in the forehead, but that's not all. There's 150 different cuts on this and cleaver marks and all kinds of stuff. So it's clear that the, the, the um, enigma uh, for historians about whether or not survival cannibalism happened, uh, happened, I think. I was convinced. I'm convinced of it. And then that skull, we felt like, the poor girl, you know, she needs some, some justification, some justice happening. Uh, and so that's the reconstruction of the haunted, the haunting uh, uh, victim uh, of this poor girl. So, okay, that's coming out. Then uh, an, a, another story of burials is um, where we're finding post holes, as I mentioned earlier, a, a pattern of post holes. And what really told us that this was the church of 16-8 is that uh, on the eastern end, um, there are four looking stains look like burials. And that would be in the chancel of the church in the east end, according to tradition. And the size matched uh, what uh, Strachey had written as well. So we thought that it would be it would be right to, this, this had been lost to history, but just laying out there in the grass, no one knew the church was even there. Uh, and some of these burials had been disturbed, at least one of them, by a trench, uh, a modern trench, uh, electrical trench. So um, they should have been memorialized, and we wondered what, and, and only high-end people are buried in the, in the East End. So, so we, let's take a look and see if we can identify them as well, because we had four candidates who they could have been because we knew the fact that church only lasted for eight years, and during those eight years, there were four or five people that, that could have been high status enough to be in the chancel. So began to excavate and found a pattern of nails that we could, again, connecting dots, could begin to see what coffins were like, and they're very different. Uh, two of them were human-shaped, as you can see. They have a, an area that they're called anthropomorphic, and then a more of a traditional one, uh, and the two are identical. And go on. Uh, so, and the other thing we found uh, in the burials was that uh, two of them had their heads oriented to the east and two oriented to the west. According to tradition, clerics would have their heads oriented to the east only, that everyone else goes to the west. And in the one uh, burial on the, on, the, uh, on the stream left, I think it is there, we began to find uh, si um, silver spangles and remains of silk uh, and, th and silver thread. Uh, 
just a little bit enough to know it's so fragile we can't even we can't even really excavate it. Uh, but it was something in in with this burial, and, and it was laid on the left shoulder, uh, left arm, shoulder, chest, uh, and so uh, we found out a way with high tech. Uh, and this is what the staff teaching me what we could do, um, that we could pull out, pull this section out intact, the dirt, and sub submit it to a CAT scan. Oh, shoot, come here. CAT scan, and it could see right through the dirt. And there you can see there's fabric, and there's a lot of those spangles. It's still in the dirt, by the way. We, haven't, we couldn't take it out. And I was thinking... Gee, we're, go we're going to be out of business if we can see through the dirt without actually digging, you know, the archaeologists. Are... <laughs> but it turned out to be a, a sash, uh, that, a, a, a captain's, an emblem of a captain. And so we think that this particular burial, putting together the history, the age of death, the coffin shape, and the fact that William West was, was, was related to Delaware, uh, so, you know, these things began to uh, uh, identify the burials. And so we think that that was Captain William West. Next to him, uh, in, the, in, the, in the shaft, we found the remains of what's called a, a captain's leading staff. It's the second one we found with a captain. So we have another captain next door. But this is the one that has the head oriented to the east. It's supposed to be a cleric. Puzzling. Anyway, there's a leading staff in, in a painting from the 1650s of, of uh, leaders, you know, and a sash. You can see what I'm talking about. We're in these burials. It's very, very rare to find anything in an English burial at all, any kind of artifact. So um, this is a military um, uh, tradition. And then the discovery of all. Is the other side open? Yeah. The wood stand, so. Does it feel hollow? Yeah, and it feels like there's something in it. And there it was. It went clink, clink, you see. Uh, so high speculation of what it could be. It, it's a little silver box. It looks green because there's a little copper in it. Uh, but it's been cleaned up, and that's what it looks like. It was found on the wood of the coffin. So it was on the coffin lid, not in the coffin, not buried with the person, but very lined up and all, like, very ceremonious. And it had a lid and initial on the lid. I thought, great, you know, we'll just pull the lid open and we'll see what's in there. Well, no way. It was so corroded. And the only way you could get it open was to br almost break it. So nobody was in favor of that. So, and maybe, you know, spiritually we shouldn't do it anyway. So who, who knows what's in there? So, but we found another way, just like with the, um, with the, the silver thread and uh, spangles, we could see right through it with a computer. I mean, a, a CAT scan, a very powerful one. And there you see what looks like wood is really um, uh, human bone, splinters of human bone and uh, two pieces of a leaded vessel known as an ampulla, we found out. Um, so then this may look like we opened it, but we could take the computer uh, uh, data um, file and print and resin what was in there, and even print the, uh, the actual uh, uh, silver box itself. It's incredible stuff that the science can do. Anyway, the, together they make what's called a reliquary. And that would be uh, very common with Catholics, but not with, obviously not with the Church of England and Protestants. So it's brought up some interesting questions about what's really going on at Jamestown, what's the role of religion in Jamestown, and 
and, 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 and relationships with the Spanish, actually, uh, which I won't get into, but you can get into it if you buy the book. <laughs> anyway, the age of death and all these things point to the fact that this is C Captain Gabriel Archer, who could have been a secret Catholic. And by looking at his, uh, his uh, biography, you, could, you get that impression. Uh, and he may have been a priest, even. We don't know. But it, it has raised interesting questions. In fact, it raised enough questions that I went back to, to um, the hometown of Sir, uh, Sir George, um, not Sir George Yardley, no. Um, what is I, I've lost it. Now, this is my prompter now. Okay. Um, Summers, Summers Isle. He was the head of, the, of that fleet, that the sea venture. Anyway, he's from this village, and I went to it just to be, go to these places where the colonists had come from. And his church near Lyme Regis, which is on the south coast of England, there is a shrine to a saint inside. And I thought that was unusual. And they told me this is the only one that was left after the iconoclast, after all these were broken up out of all the churches. Uh, when uh, you, you have the Reformation, this one was left in this town. I thought that was interesting. So then I read that this had been broken open in 1900 accidentally. And inside it was a metal box. And on it was written, this, here are the remains of St. Witta. And I'm wondering if, this, if the origin of that silver box is really coming from Summers, who may have been at the funeral. Because you know, the Gabriel in the coffin can't put the silver box on top of his coffin. <laughs> so, and it's W, so maybe it's a W, I don't know. And then nearby is a place where everybody filled up their little ampullas. This was a, a, a shrine. Interesting, what's left of, you know, uh, the, of Catholic England is sitting there near Lyme Regis. So all these little threads are, are, are out there just tormenting, tormenting me to try to put them together. But maybe, maybe Summers is involved. That's just a new, a new theory. But through our ex excavations, we found uh, a, lot, a number of, of, uh, of Catholic uh, medallions and stamps and these crucifixes that have this amazing um, abstract sort of uh, uh, Jesus on the cross. You know, I mean, they, they've all over the place. So what is going on? Who's going on? Anyway, the finding of these, uh, the other four, uh, the other two were uh, a knight uh, and, um, and the cleric uh, who was a captain, I think was um, uh, Reverend Robert Hunt, the first cleric at Jamestown, who dies pretty quickly on, but enough to, he could have been buried in that chancel. So all of these finds have been amazing for us uh, as far as uh, 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 publicity goes for, for Jamestown. Uh, as uh, Jim Horn, the, uh, um, the CEO now of our foundation, says, we, were, we, we made the triple crown uh, on the funding of these leaders. Uh, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and New York Times. Front page, the whole pages. So, it, and it was also uh, um, considered uh, three times what we found is considered the, the, uh, one of the top ten finds in archaeology in several years has happened. So that's your Jamestown. I mean, it's, it's an amazing place. Well, I mentioned that um, the uh, uh, Jamestown was settled, uh, uh, or the, was settled within the Powhatan Empire. Uh, maybe not a great choice, but what we interesting thing we found is there's an enormous amount of artifacts that are Powhatan Indian or trade for, to Powhatan that, that have this sacred um, uh, copper and beads. That has been coming up, and it's in there with the English material. It's not like there's a layer underneath everything that was there before. 
uh, and, it, and it certainly begins to, um, to look at uh, records, one of which said that 50, 40, let's see, 40 out of, 40 or 50, I, I have to say this right, uh, of the colonists have married with the Indians. And this is a Spanish document that says this. Now, it's probably exaggerated, but they're in there. And the women, are, they're the ones that make pottery. They're the ones that make beads. And, and we found thousands of these uh, partially made and made uh, shell beads are all over the place in with the English material from 1609-1610. So if you think that the, the story is the, in, the Virginian in, Indians are on the outside of Palisade and the English are on the inside, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> and then this object, to me, just really is fascinating. It's, it's a small pendant. It's, it's about an uh, inch and a half, two inches high, made of copper. But it's obviously an Indian. And uh, at some point, uh, it may be that it was used as a badge for uh, whoever's ever speaking for Powhatan would come to the English. He'd have to be wearing that. And as well as uh, and beads were used uh, for the Indians, used the beads on the English to say, if you're speaking for you know, the man, you've got to have this, these beads on. So how did you identify yourself at that time you know, without driver's licenses you know, or things like that? It's something to think about. Well, OK, um, putting it all together, you might wonder how all this dirt gets moved. Well, what you do is you have a field school of really exciting kids. <laughs> and this is done through the University of Virginia. And they do a lot of things. They learn a lot. In fact, half the staff now had gone through the field school in many, many years. You, you just measure off these squares. And this is where we begin to study the memorial church site where you've got a reconstructed church next to that church tower. And this, I think, will give you an idea of connecting how many dots we've connected. Uh, that 1608 church is the rectangle, the rectangle you see up in the, in the upper left-hand side marked on the ground. Uh, the blacksmith shop is there, then the, the uh, row houses. Uh, and it's, putting together these pieces has, have, has just been fascinating for me. Then, however, you don't just always use shovels, and, and it's good to have a gang. But once we get to a level of the 17th century, then it's scraped off very carefully to look for uh, anomalies in the, in, the, in the dirt, where someone had dug, where a colonist had dug into the clay, and they can't put it back like it was. So in scraping that area, we found a few grave sites, and they're in the upper middle of this slide. Uh, but also planting rows that we can tell from the inner uh, relationship of the layers that these go to 1607. And a lot of people thought the gentlemen jump off the ship and they start looking for gold and nobody plants and that's why they starve to death. We've got, there's evidence of them of planting furrows that are out there from 1607. Uh, so uh, again, it's more complicated than, than we think. Now, the church itself is now a focus of our excavations. This is more popular. I mean, this is more of the future. Uh, and here's a shot of uh, about eight months ago. Uh, and the chancel, this is in the 1906 reconstructed church, where the first representative assembly met uh, in the eastern end. So it's very important. In 2019, we're going to com commemorate that meeting, because that's the first 
representative uh, assembly meeting in, in you know English in, in North America, uh, and <clears throat> and it'll be 400 years hope 400 years old in 2019. Well, the the APVA ladies and they're in the background. If you look closely in their dresses and all, they were archaeologists in in 1901, and because the Last church that was on that site, the brick church, went down about 1750, so it was just an, an open site. Uh, and they went in and did some digging and uncovered remains of at least three churches. The arrow, the lower arrow, is pointing to a foundation that we think dates to the church where the representatives suddenly met. And that only lasted about 20 years. It was timber, then it was replaced by brick, then it was uh, burned, and then it was finally taken down. But all of these remains are, are somewhat left there after the, that digging. And we also, they also found uh, a ledger stone that uh, is shown here being re, uh, uh, conserved that has an indent where a brass uh, figure in the shape of a knight and an epitaph and a coat of arms had been attached to this, this uh, uh, Belgian uh, marble ledger stone marking a grave. We know that there are two uh, knights who were buried in there. Uh, Sir George Yardley, who was, who was presiding over the first representative assembly, uh, and um, probably Delaware, because he died in about the time when that church could have had him in it. So uh, we're going to try and see if we can find those guys. And put this ledger stone back. It wasn't in the right place. It was really out of place. Now, this, here can show you how this can show you how complicated it can get to dig in a place where you've had three churches standing. There are floors left from different time periods, and there's even a graveyard wall that went through there when there was no church there, uh, and uh, the areas where their graves were actually dug into. So uh, we're going to try and sort all this out and then have an exhibit of uh, what a few pieces of the, of the different time periods that will be on display in, in uh, 2019. So please plan on coming to Jamestown at that time. Uh, okay, that's very. I can't point out all the stuff that's in there, but and then uh, there's another part of the story where the fort was expanded to the east, and we found uh, what I think was called a, a guardhouse uh, or a blockhouse at the corner of an extension of the fort, and it's just going on and on. It goes across it. Probably the whole western end of the island's fortified. Um, this, ex, you know, there's there's enough work there forever uh, to do. So, I mean, that's you know, job security, but not for me. Uh, <laughs> but he, here's a, a cellar in that building we found. And so, on. and then not only that, but there's the rest of the town, which grew to the uh, grew to the east. And we are now, in conjunction with the Park Service, looking at a site where the first. Um, recorded African lived uh, in Jamestown, uh, at least a woman. Her name was Angela. And she uh, came in in 1620, actually came in 1619 when the first Africans came to Jamestown. But she went to Bermuda first and then back by another story. Anyway, she was back there by 1620 and she was in the household of Captain William Pierce. We know where his lot is pretty well. And so that uh, area is now being excavated to see if we can see what the, what the world was like around her. Now we're going to find uh, African things, of course, but who knows? But I don't think so. But what we've done there is do ground radar and look at um, 
uh, pulses through the ground and see if that's going to show us what's been there. The Park Service had done excavations in the 1930s on the same site. So it's, it's pretty scrambled, and we, you know, it, it, but it's a project in, in conjunction with the Park Service and looking to see how Jamestown grew to the east. And here's a ground, this is not mowing the lawn, this is actually a machine that's penetrating into the, uh, into the ground. And it's done on a grid, like you see here, and beyond Angela's site, the real surprise, this is the one that I can't, I, I have a hard time even believing, is that in that field, we found, which no doubt about it, the readings count down about three, oh, come on, don't do that. The queen can't wait, she can't wait. Um, down below, if you look very carefully at the dark stains, there's one that, it's an earlier archeological trench, but the other ones make points. And I'll show you what, what it was found. This is a star fort. You see it? There you are. I think it's astounding. I mean, without digging, this is down a, a couple of, uh, uh, of yards. I think. No, it wouldn't be yards. Maybe 36 feet, 36 inches down. And these would be moats or, or ditches that form this star fort. And there's a record of one in, in 1660s, but we think it's earlier. You're finding more things. And then it looks like, if I can get, can I point to it? I don't know. If you, now in the she's lower there for the fort. She cannot, wait, wait a minute, Queen. So, uh, this fort was found in, on a map recently of Fort, uh, of, um, they think this is a Roanoke Island uh, lost colony. Part of it, it's under a patch on a map. Whether or not, it, there's digging going on now about that to see if, if it really is the lost colony, but I, it's still lost, not yet, they haven't done it. <laughs> but, uh, speaking of, and this is Queen Elizabeth's uh, time. You know, we got another now Elizabeth. Here she is. To, I've got to show you this. I had the great opportunity uh, to walk her around the site. She went down in the trenches. Built in this is 20, uh, 2007. So we're, what we were looking at there was, we were finding swords, those are swords and armor, uh, pretty rusty, but they're swords. And it wasn't set up just for her, you know, here it was, we were finding it at the time. She was looking at that, and, I, and my assignment was, for her was to, to, to say something that would make her have a reflective moment, let's call it. <sighs> what am I gonna do? So anyway, I thought, um, uh, uh, well here, I'll try this. Uh, Your Majesty, this is the first time this English equipment has seen the light of day in, three, in 400 years. And I thought, she's going to say, can I have it back? <laughs> Who owns it, you know? But then we continued on, walking around the site. <laughs> and we came to the middle, and I thought, here's, here's a, a sacred place. I'm going to say, all right, Your Majesty, this is where modern America began. And she kind of, mm. You know, because there's Yorktown, you know, other things that brought up. But I, I did finally say, you know, this is where the British Empire begins. And boy, that was it. <laughs> that was it. She didn't say anything, but I could just see in her face that, that that was the right thing to say. So Jamestown is the first colony out of the British Isles of the, of the British Empire. A lot of people don't realize that. And the empire by the 20th century is most of the earth, you know, around. It's, it's, it's a big, huge deal. Uh, so 
uh, and what's in, mostly the countries are not uh, British anymore, but the traditions are all there, the parliamentary government and all these things uh, that Jamestown is important for. And what's the next one? Oh, and then she got back to me. I think I did say the right thing. Because in 2012, I did get this uh, uh, CBE, commander of the British Empire. <laughs> but it, it just shows you how important Jamestown is, I think, you know, world, worldwide and globally. So, and then it's a, it's a calling card. My, wife, my dear wife, Ellen, who is right down there, uh, we went to Bermuda. Uh, and there, you know, they're part of the empire. And, uh, Here's the governor and I was talking about, he knew what it was. I thought it was neat. <laughs> anyway, why, why do we care about Jamestown? You know, so what? Well, the rule of law is, is established, you know, almost immediately. And these are, uh, and we're finding like almost three-dimensional uh, versions of the origins of legacies of today. That's what I like to say it. Um, the rule of law, and no, we're not finding law books, but we're finding what the atmosphere was like at Jamestown when these things were incorporated. Uh, and then there's uh, joint stock company, and there, you know, it, it is a free enterprise deal, although the company did fail, I have to say that. Uh, but uh, it, it, this is another first at Jamestown. And then the whole thing of representative government. And again, in, in 2019, we're going to go to the spot and say, all right, here's where this begins. Now, <clears throat> we're, we're continually trying to work this one out, aren't we? You know, I mean, it's, well, how is this going to work? Uh, but it's certainly, certainly a wonderful thing. Now, again, if you want to know more detail, <laughs> if you haven't got enough, there are books that you can have. And many of them are signed. Uh, and so I'm not sure where we're going to go to do that. But anyway, they're here. Uh, and uh, uh, so, uh, and, and really, the, whatever we make on this goes to the project. And it's a nonprofit uh, deal, you know, private uh, uh, funded, privately funded. So um, if you want to know more information about that, I'll be glad to tell you about it. So anyway, I'm getting all this credit, and here's who, who's really done it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I will, I will take questions uh, for a while. Dr. Kelso, an entertaining uh, talk, and it's amazing how much physical, uh, mental, and technological work goes into a project like this. But it's been suggested, and you mentioned a menu early on, that some of our forebears may have lunched on other of our forebears. Is there any truth to that? And if so, how do we know? Uh, well, we did find Jane that I mentioned, and that was clear evidence of survival, cannibalism. Does that answer your question? Get the book. Dr. Kelso, we were down there, uh, my wife and I were down there several weeks ago, and you were walking away from the church, and, and we just started clapping as we saw you. And you looked back and waved at us, but um, <clears throat> I don't know how often that happens, but we enjoyed seeing you then with your crew. Um, there's a map at the Archaearium that shows the, uh, all the waterways there, and I presume that was 
initiated by uh, Captain John Smith. Yes. It just shows what looked like hundreds of Indian villages, all named. So I, I didn't realize until I saw that that the exploration was quite that extensive in the first couple of years. Could you comment upon uh, those explorations? You said there are 15,000 or so uh, American Indians uh, there at the time of 1607. Another question related to the map is the Powhatan's village shows uh, his main village being at the falls, which is right here. Could you just comment upon the exploration of the map a little bit? Uh, well, the map is amazing, you know, amazingly accurate. And it was a, the map of Virginia for at least half of the 17th century. None, nobody made any better one. And, uh, and he, he was discovering, as they say. You know, this is he researching. He was sent to do this, uh, to send this back to the company. Say, hey, you know, this is, this is what we're getting into. And uh, I think uh, if you look at that map, you can tell that, they, that this was a, um, a country well occupied at the time when they landed. Uh, but he, so this was one of the voyages, maybe, not, maybe more than one. But I, I was amazing. I was looking at the rivers. He's there, named rivers, uh, Indian names. Uh, uh, yeah, and then, then now the Powhatan uh, village. There is a there's a village near here in Richmond called near. It's called Powhatan, and that may be where Powhatan was born. I'm not quite sure, but uh, his uh, actual place where he was living when when uh, Smith arrived is called Werewakamico, and it's down in Gloucester County. Uh, just become a national park, part of the national park, colonial park. So that that's confusing, but th this, it's shown definitely where he was, and some archaeological evidence has turned up that points to his to that occupation. One last question. Yes, uh, until your excavations, the the fort was thought lost in the river, and even the map that you showed at the beginning of your presentation showed a corner of it lost in the river, has there been any systematic exploration, diving, dredging of the bottom of the river in that area to look for the fort? Well, not for the fort, because the river, uh, uh, the, the bed of the river just below the part that, the one little part that was washed in, uh, is nine feet below the level of the fort. So it was washed away as a cliff. That doesn't mean there's not artifacts down there, but they're sort they're out of context. You know, it's not going to give us the, the design of the fort at all. I don't believe. Uh, but there's plenty of reason to do underwater work off the off the shore there. Uh, it's just that we've had so you know we've got enough on the on the menu as it is uh, to look look out there. But there were several things. There was a a, um, a pier uh, for the for the port. Uh, there was another fort out there made of brick, uh, other things, uh, the, part of, a, of the first state house or the, the real state house washed into the river and so on. Uh, but uh, if we, you know, there's enough time, who knows? Okay? Thank you. All right, thank you very much.